And mostly where Jay has worked or has been in a couple of gyms. And he told me a story uh, from, one of the, from one of these gyms that I think is almost like the perfect analogy for 2020. And, and I think it's a great setup for what I'm going to talk about today as we talk about overcoming the fear of circumstances from the 46th Psalm. But he, he's told me about a, a man who uh, had come in the gym. And, and, and at this particular gym, Jay's job was to check people in and, and take temperatures. And he was using one of these touchless thermometers with the infrared scanner. And so this particular gentleman was telling the people who were doing that, that you can't scan my forehead, you need to scan my wrist, because he had a friend apparently who had read something and then convinced uh, his, this man that he, uh, or that people were going to get brain cancer from the infrared of these touchless thermometers. And so Jay had heard about this from the different people who work there, the different people who do that. And then finally one day, uh, it was his turn to encounter him, his turn to check him in. And, uh, you know, the guy was like pointing in his wrist and so on and so forth. And he didn't want to let him take his temperature. And Jay's trying to follow what he's supposed to do. And, and at some point in it, the man like I literally touched Jay on the forehead as he's trying to make his point to him. And Jay kept his cool with him, but it made him mad. Uh, you know, we wanted, our nicknames for Jay is Mr. Truth, Justice, in the American Way because he's really black and white. I don't know where we'd gotten that from, but, but that's the way he's wired. And he's like, you don't touch somebody you don't know on the forehead during the middle of a pandemic, which is true. It's a, it's a good point. But you know, this guy's like, it's going to give me brain cancer. He's trying to say, you can't do this to me, so on and so forth. Well, fast forward a little bit, and a few weeks later, uh, Jay comes into work one day, and one of the ladies who works there is like, you know, crazy thermometer guys uh, back again, and, um, you know, she had a similar encounter, and she's telling Jay about it, and, you know, he's responding to her, and, and uh, uh, but the thing about it is this, this, this is what she said to him. She said, before COVID, this guy was the nicest, most normal man you'd ever meet. Fear makes us do crazy things. Fear can make us irrational. Fear causes us to believe crazy theories. Fear causes us to grasp at straws. Fear causes us to do things that we would never normally do. And really, there's a lot that could cause us to be afraid this year. I mean, there's the fear of the unknown. There's the fear of sickness. There's the fear of death. There's the fear of future. I mean, if you have kids and grandkids, you're probably sitting around thinking, like, you know, what's it going to be like for my kids? Uh, I think everyone is living with at least, even people who are normally calm, some low level of anxiety or stress or even worse, um, this was back late in the summer. I'm guessing it's worse now, but in, in the CDC, like their weekly report, they said at that point nearly 41% of all respondents reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health condition overall, with about a third saying they'd experienced uh, anxiety or depression in the last 30 days. Particularly, though, it's hitting the 18 to 24-year-old age demographic. It was, the numbers were 75% of, uh, of people in that age range reported some kind of adverse 
mental health, behavioral health uh, symptom. 63% were supporting, uh, reporting anxiety or depression. 25% were reporting using substances to, to, to cope. And I think usually you estimate higher than the actual numbers on that kind of thing. And a little over 25% said they had seriously considered taking their life in the last 30 days. CNN ran an article a few days ago about Japan. And a professor in Tokyo who's an expert on suicide said this. He said, we didn't even have a lockdown and the impact of COVID is very minimal compared to other countries, but we still see this big increase in the number of suicides. That suggests other countries might see a similar or even bigger increase in the number of suicides in the future. Listen to this. In Japan this year, as of November 29th, there's been 2,087 COVID-related deaths. In October alone in Japan, there were 2,153 deaths ruled as suicides. More suicides in a, in a month than COVID deaths all year. In addition to that, 75% of school children are reporting or demonstrating stress with some of them, even like elementary school kids, calling a suicide prevention hotline. So where are you, if you're honest? How are you struggling? How much are you struggling? What are you struggling with? How much anxiety, how much stress do you feel? What are you afraid of, if you're really honest? I mean, what are you dealing with? I mean, one of the things that's, that's blown me away uh, this year, in addition to just everything that's involved with dealing with COVID, whether that's the unknown, whether it's actually being sick, uh, someone you know dying, uh, whether it's quarantining, whether it's loss of job or business struggles or just the, the complications of life, I don't know that I can ever remember a year at True Life where people have been through more difficulties even if you take COVID completely out of the equation. I mean, as far as doing pastoral care, it's been it's an incredible year. I mean, uh, just so many people, sickness, sickness in their family, death of loved ones. I mean, just problems that kind of out of their control in a lot of cases. I'm not talking about like the dumb stuff we do to create their own problems. I'm just talking about stuff, you know, life things that just can't be uh, avoided. I mean, has this year been a tough year for you? Are you in the midst of, of difficult circumstances? So the question then becomes, how do we deal with this? How, how do we overcome what can often be a crippling fear or worry about our circumstances? And I believe that the answer comes from looking to God and his word. And, and, and there's a great psalm, a great passage of Scripture in, in, in the Old Testament that I believe that God really wants to speak to us through today. I, I had a couple of verses in this psalm memorized for a long time, but I never really got the full impact of this psalm until recently. And, and really the way I got it is I, I listened to someone, Craig Rochelle, uh, preach a message about this psalm. I was really planning on using another passage of scripture for this week until I listened to him. And, and, and really what I, I learned there and then in follow-up doing some historical research on my own was the context of the psalm. 
And, and, and once I knew that, it just made it come alive. It just really kind of blew me away. And, and, and the way that I think this can speak to us so much right now is this, that as bad as our circumstances are, they pale in comparison to the circumstances of the people to whom this was written. This psalm is set in 701 B.C. And the historical context is uh, Sennacherib, the wicked king of Assyria, had a 185,000-man army in Israel invading and about to take over um, Jerusalem. And, you know, in the flesh, in their own strength, they were really honestly powerless to stand uh, against this army. Now, you say, I mean, how does that relate to me? Or how would that be worse than my circumstances? Well, let me tell you a little bit about the Assyrians and their army. They were uh, the best trained, most technologically advanced, most ruthless, most fearsome army of their day. If you imagine like 185,000 Rambos or 185,000 Jack Bowers, who I, I think, you know, he's, the, he's, he's at the top of the list for me. Or if you remember the movie Taken and Liam Neeson saying that he had a particular set of skills. If you uh, imagine 185,000 Assyrians with a particular set of skills uh, camped outside your city, that, that's what they were facing. But, but there's more to it than that. Because... They weren't this kind of army that had been like, oh, just surrender and everything will be fine. They really employed psychological warfare. They would send tablets of, of warnings and, and, and threats. But even beyond that, even beyond being this fearsome fighting force, they, they tortured people. I mean, they crucified people. They impaled people. If you don't know what that is, ask Preston after the service. They would uh, skin their victims alive. They would cut off body parts and like maybe wear an ear or a nose as, as a necklace. I mean, they, they practiced all kinds of torture and they would draw pictures of it and, and use it to threaten other people. Really, what they would do to women and children, I'm not even going to talk about in, in polite company, but hopefully from that you can maybe imagine how horrible, how terrible, how awful it was. And, and so today, you know, we're facing something that's scary. But honestly, it pales in comparison to 185,000 people camped outside of Morristown or Jefferson City or Knoxville that's the most powerful army of the day, and they're wanting to kill, to maim, to torture, to humiliate, uh, to rape, loot, pillage, uh, that kind of thing. Now imagine if we were facing that. That's what they were facing. And so how would we respond? Well, Hezekiah was the, the king in Israel at this time. And he's really one of the, he wasn't perfect, but one of the godliest kings portrayed in the Old Testament. And they did some practical things like reinforcing the walls of the city and stopping up the, the wells outside the city, but making sure there was a water supply inside the city. But he also 
went to the prophet Isaiah and got a word from the Lord and they prayed and encouraged and he ministered to the people. But still, this looked overwhelming. This looks hopeless. You know, what did they do? How did they overcome their fear in the midst of this circumstance? How can we overcome our fear in the midst of our circumstance? Well, let's let God's word speak to us today. And so let's read the 46th Psalm. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And one of the things I want you to notice as we, as we read this psalm and as we talk about it, this psalm is mostly statements about God. There's one command in here when we get to verse 10, and there's one declaration from man's perspective, and that's what we just read. Therefore, we will not fear. But why? What's the therefore, therefore? It's there because we're, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Why should we not be afraid even when circumstances are so bad? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. It says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And I hope as we read what's this poetic language in this psalm, you'll read it with the back of your mind, in the back of your mind, what we read about Sennacherib, or what, we, what I shared with about Sennacherib, and how horrible and ruthless his army was, because that's what was in their mind. It says, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling, Selah, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then he tells us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So as we read and think about and try to understand the truth of God's word here, I want to give you four convictions that I believe we can develop that from, from this psalm that will enable us to overcome the fear of our circumstances, that will enable us to stand in, in faith and, and to live in peace. If, if we really claim God's word here, if we really believe this and, and begin to act on it, and of course, a real conviction is belief put into action. So here's the first one. We experience that God is enough when God is all we have. When God's all we have, we find that God is enough. Now, when you go back to, to verse one, it, it says God is our refuge and strength. He's our protector. He's our strength. He's strong when we're weak. But then it says 
he is our very present help in trouble. Now, the, the, the word trouble here in the Hebrew, it, it, it indicates intense inner turmoil. It describes the anguish of a people besieged by an enemy. It, it is comparable, it's used elsewhere, to the pain of a woman bearing her first child. It refers to terror at the approach of a raping army. It defines the quality of time when Judah suffers her severest punishment for violating uh, the, the covenant, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament. It means to be in distress, to be in dire straits, not just outwardly, but inwardly. And so when we're in this kind of trouble, when we have this kind of circumstance, when we're freaking out this way on the inside, it says that God is our very present help. Now, these words, very present, um, they're, they're a little bit hard to understand. Uh, I, in fact, um, I actually called, if you remember Dr. Ryan Stokes, who was, when we did the Q&A this summer, who was on the panel, he's a professor at Carson Newman, uh, you know, great scholar. I actually called him to ask him about uh, the, the meaning of this in, in Hebrew, because you know, I heard a pastor talking about it, and it's just like, is that exactly what it means? Is looked it up, and it's just kind of hard to understand. I'm no Hebrew scholar. One of the dumber moves of my life is I took Hebrew in summer school the summer after Jay was born, and you know, don't have much retention of it. So I talked to Dr. Stokes about it, and, and I felt better because apparently this is like a very rare, very unique Hebrew phrase, and uh, he even had some trouble explaining it, uh, especially in a way that you know my brain compared to his could could understand. But anyway, in Hebrew, it's the words nimsa mayod, and uh, nimsa means to be found, uh, to be experienced, and, and so there's a sense when it comes to God, you can know about God, but to a degree, you just got to experience Him. You know, you ever said or, or heard or thought, well, you just had to be there. Like, you go to the Grand Canyon. I mean, you can try to talk about it, but in a way, you just have to be there. I said to people before about some of the uh, greatest church services I've ever been. I mean, you just, you just had to be there. Some things are more experienced than they are I explained. Mayod means exceedingly or abundantly or one Hebrew lexicon even talks about the muchness of God, whatever that means. But Dr. Stokes boiled it down to this. It says, he is found very much abundantly. That's how clunky of a phrase it kind of is. It's kind of clunky and beautiful at the same time because you're kind of like, well, what's that even mean? He's found very much abundantly. Well, maybe the best description of it I've read is what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, God alone is our all in all. All other refuges are refuges of lies. All other strength is weakness, for power belongeth unto God. But as God is all sufficient, our defense and might are equal to all emergencies. He has been tried and proved by his people. He never withdraws himself from his afflicted. He is their help, truly, effectually, constantly. He is present or near them, close at their side. And listen, that is good news for us today. If you're in Christ, whatever you're afraid of, 
God is found very much abundantly. His presence is very much abundant. His power and his strength and his grace and his supply and his resources are very much abundant. I can't explain it nearly as well as he can provide it. I can try to tell you about it, but you just had to be there. Some things you just have to experience. God wants to be experienced by you. He wants you to come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because here's the reality also. As we talk about fear, if you don't know the Lord, you ought to be afraid. You ought to be deathly afraid. Because in this day of death in which we live, if you die, you're not like dying and going to heaven. You're dying and going to hell. You ought to be afraid of that. There is a healthy fear, the fear, the reverence of the Lord. And I want you to keep that in mind. If you don't know the Lord, and, and I, I just encourage you, beg you to, to, to turn to him, to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Jesus Christ, to experience his forgiveness and his peace now and forever, to experience his life and his hope. But for those of us who know him, he is there with us. He is muchly abundant to us to meet our needs. We can go to him. We can trust him. We can rely on him. He has been tried and proved by his people. He's been found to be enough. I'll be honest with you. Um, I I, I hate that I'm not in the room uh, with you, but because I'm pretty fire. To me, this is a like a word from the Lord for me. hope it is for you too, but I felt like in a lot of ways, this psalm is kind of like my year. I mean, to be honest, if we went back a year and uh, you asked me what I thought about my life, I would have said to you, it's just about perfect. I mean, life's never perfect. It's awesome. It's pretty much like how I wanted it to be. Um, had a good year at church, family's doing well. Uh, Robin and I, you know, our relationship was awesome, maybe better than it had ever been. It's kind of smooth sailing. You know, and, and then Robin gets this questionable mammogram, and, you know, and then it goes downhill from there to a cancer diagnosis and, and, and a couple of lumpectomies and radiation and. COVID hits in the middle of all that and, um, you know, dealing ministering to people that are hurting and struggling and um, not what I would have chosen this year. But in a lot of ways, it's been a great year because I found God to be abundantly, muchly there and more than enough. And that's been proved in my experience in, in a new, in, in, a, in a fresh kind of way. He's done things in me that wouldn't have happened without these trials. He's grown me. I've experienced him. Um, you know, would I like 2021 to be smoother and easier? Yeah. But I think I'll take what God has for me. He's a good God. And that's not dependent on our circumstances. There's a second thing, though, that I take from this psalm, and that is when the battle is too big for us, 
it's just the right size for our God. When the battle is too big for us, it is just the right size for our God. I mean, think about what he said. Uh, you know, we're not going to be afraid because if the earth's removed, mountains are carried in the midst of the sea, the waters roar and, and troubled, all these things. It still says that, you know, God utters his voice, the earth melts. You know, God's in the midst of earth, you're not going to be moved. Uh, come behold the works of the Lord. The God of Jacob is with us. He makes war, sees all these kind of things. When the battle is too big for us, it's just the right size for our God. A lot of times our problem is we're trying to fight battles that are too big for us. We're trying to fight battles in our own strength that we're not equipped to fight. But if I could just kind of fast forward a little bit to the end of this story, you know what happened? After they sought the Lord, after they prayed, God uh, sent a delusion upon King Sennacherib. He went back home. Eventually, he was murdered by uh, two of his own sons. His army that stayed there, God sent one angel into their camp and, and killed all 185,000 of them in a night. One angel. When the battle's too big for us, it's just the right size for our God. Just one touch from him. Just one touch from him. Does that mean that he, you know, he's going to fix everything and make all of our circumstances easier? No, sometimes that's how he's going to work. Sometimes he's going to work in us, like he did with the Apostle Paul when he prayed three times for uh, the thorn in the flesh to be taken away. And God said, no, but he said, my grace is sufficient. He's enough when the battle it's too big for us. It is just the right size for our God. But, but remember this. Look at verse 5. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, talking about Jerusalem, just at the break of dawn. Now, when it says just at the break of dawn, what's that mean? That means they had to go through the night first. You know, God doesn't work on our timing he comes through. Sometimes it seems like he's doing it at, at the last hour, but he's going to come through. And if we believe that, if we believe that God is enough, if we believe the battle's not too big for him, it may not make it all easy and pleasant, but we don't have to live cowering in fear either. We can trust him. I mean, I think about the spies that were sent into the promised land in Numbers 13 and 14. Ten of them said, uh, you know, there's giants. They're, they're, they're too big. And they cowered in fear and missed what God had for them. But two of them said, no, our God is bigger than these giants. These giants are not big enough to stand up to our God. And they moved in faith and they moved forward and they experienced what God had for them. Uh, listen, we have to make adjustments in life right now. And you know, I'm making an adjustment by preaching this on video out of consideration for you. But at the same time, that's not living in fear. Uh, I'm, God may give me 50 more years. He may give me 50 more days. That's up to him. But I'm not going to cower back in fear. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. We're going to move forward in faith as a church. We're not going to shrink back in fear. We'll make whatever adjustments we need to make. We may end up back online uh, this winter, but we're going to move forward in reaching out to our community and reaching out to our world and trusting, you know, when, when all this hit, I'm like, what's going to happen to the church? Uh, you know, I'm worried about the battle, but when a battle's too big for me, when the battle's too big for us, it's just the right size for our God. Listen, if we trust him and we find the opportunity behind every obstacle and it's there, if we'll walk by faith, God will use us and God will come through and God will bring us through and he'll bring good out of it. You know, think about the fact uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs in Honduras. 
Haven't been able to meet since March. They've been able to transition to online programs, but out of the Boys and Girls Club budget and out of what you and others have given, we've been able to provide 1,010 food bags to this point and counting for families that will feed them for two weeks plus 600 other plates of food. We're not going to shrink back. We're going to move forward. This year in the middle of a pandemic, we started two Bible training center for pastors uh, classes here um, at True Life. And there's a third one, it's a long story, we'll tell you about it sometime, that's starting in Lira, Uganda this week. You pray for that. We're not going to shrink back in fear. We're going to move forward in faith because when the battle's too big for us, it's just the right size for our God. And so along with that, and I think kind of what summarizes this whole text is is this thought. If we're going to overcome our fear, we have to shift our focus from the question of or the focus of what are my circumstances and transition to the question of, the focus of, who is my God? Stop focusing on what are my circumstances and start focusing on who is our God? Who is he? According to this, he's our protector. He's our strength. He's our help. He's always present with us. He is our all-sufficient resource. He is sovereign. He is glorious. If you think about the rest of Scripture, he is our life. He's our peace. He's our hope. He's our joy. He's our forgiveness. Uh, He's all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He is our loving Heavenly Father. He indwells us by his precious Holy Spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for us. He is with us and not against us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Listen, circumstances are going to come and go. Circumstances are going to shift from good to bad. Uh, Sometimes there's not human answers, but our God is unchanging, and he's always faithful. Stop focusing on what our circumstances and stop thinking about so much um, God through the circumstances and start thinking about our circumstances through God. Listen, Craig Gorsell summarized all of this by saying this. He's big enough to control the whole world and he's loving enough to care about you. He's big enough to take care of the whole world. He's sovereign and he's loving enough. He's involved in your life. He's loving enough to take care of you. I think that conviction is what carries me through hard times. Last, verse 10. And this is the command that we're given. This is to be our response. That is to stop trying to control everything and by faith surrender control to the Lord. Stop trying to control everything and by faith surrender control to the Lord. You know why we get afraid sometimes? Because we feel like we're not in control. If we're honest, we're all control freaks. It may be to varying degrees. But you know what one of the biggest myths or illusion in the world is? It's the illusion of control. I mean, think about what he's saying here. He's saying, be still and know that I'm God. Now, be still seems like a crazy commandment with what they were facing. 185,000 man army, be still. Uh, What they would do to your wife and children, be still. I mean, fight or flight's gonna kick in, right? Be still, no, you either need to run or you need to fight. But running would've gotten them killed. Fighting would've gotten them killed. 
The battle was above their pay grade. But I want you to notice the next part of this verse. It says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, this battle wasn't ultimately about them. And listen to me. If you're a child of God, your battles aren't ultimately about you. Everything in our lives is about the glory of God. And listen, everything that God is doing in your life is for your good and ultimately for his glory. The battle belongs to the Lord. Your life is in his hands if if you're in Christ. If you're walking in faith and obedience, he's responsible for the outcome. So we can stop fighting for control. We can stop scheming and worrying and planning and plotting. A lot of our fear and worry comes from uh, things that may or may not even happen in the future. But if we just surrender to the Lord Jesus and acknowledge that he's king, that he's on his, contr- on his throne, that he's in control, and trust him, that's when peace can come. You see, a lot of our struggle, I think, with anxiety and with circumstances is we're trying to live in the future in our minds. Remember, the Bible says that God's mercies are new every day. God will give you enough grace for today. Listen, you and I cannot control whether or not tomorrow or a week from now or whenever we're going to get COVID or not. I mean, I know we can take precautions. We can't ultimately control that. We can't control ultimately if we're going to be in a car wreck, if we lose our job. We can't control everything about our marriage. We can't control how long our parents are going to live. We can't control uh, what our kids are going to do, especially our adult kids. And we can just live with this loop in our minds of trying to figure all that stuff out. Here's what I'm saying. The only way we can really live in peace is to seek God every day, to start the morning with him, to abide in him, to seek him, to ask him for the, that, the grace for today, to ask him uh, to guide us in what we need to do today, to focus on him and, and to seek to control what I can control, to live my life obediently to him, to take the steps that he wants me to take, to live with the wisdom and the stewardship that he wants me to live with and, and put the results in his hands. Be still and know that I am God. Being still is not passive. It's actively seeking the Lord, but it's being still in the sense of I'm not, uh, you know, furiously plotting and scheming and trying to figure it all out and working it all out. I'm seeking God and, and, and trusting God with it. If you're not a Christian, what this means is, is that you come to the end of yourself and your self-effort and you trying to make yourself right with God, and you trying to be in control of your own life, and you acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. You acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God who left heaven and came to earth, and he died for your sins, and he rose from the dead, and by faith surrendering to him as Lord and Savior, receiving him into your life. In fact, right now, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute? Everybody, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching uh, online. And and I want to talk to people who aren't Christians, who aren't sure about it for a minute. And then I'll finish with saying one final word to, to believers. Are you living in peace right now? Do you know 
if you died, that you would go and be with God in heaven forever? Do you have a relationship with him? Would your life show it? You say, no, or I'm not sure, or, you know, I, I need that kind of peace. Listen, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? If you believe that, the Bible says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you believe that, Will you confess it right now? If you know that you're a sinner and you're sorry for your sins, and you want to turn from your sins, and you want to surrender your life to Christ by faith, will you do that right now? Will you call on his name? If it'll help you, there's nothing magical. Prayer doesn't save you. It's, it's the faith in the heart, the confession with the mouth. It's, it's repentance and, 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 and faith. But if, if this expresses your heart, you can pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. I deserve to go to hell. Lord, I need your grace and your mercy. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. Right now, I receive it into my life. I surrender to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Listen, if you just gave your life to Christ, you have questions about that, text TLC Decision to 94,000. And check the appropriate blank. Let us follow up with you. Message one of the hosts in the comments or, or, or chat and let them talk to you. If you're in the room, talk to somebody that you know. And if you look this way for just a minute, I want to kind of bring this to a conclusion for Christians. And, and then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond in prayer and worship uh, as, as they sing. So Hezekiah did some practical things, but then he gathered the people together. Like I said, he sought Isaiah, and, and, and they prayed. And then this is what he said to them in 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, where the story is recorded. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Listen to this. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. Will you stop trying to fight your battles in the arm of the flesh and begin by faith to let God fight your battles for you? That is the way that we overcome the fear of circumstances.